Over the last 20 years working in restaurants, I met a lot of really interesting people. Uh, Bourdain called us pirates and misfits, and he couldn't be more right. Um, we really were, um, I say were, we are a hodgepodge of cultures and backgrounds, and we get to play with food all day, and we get to make a living doing that, and it's pretty damn awesome. This is what Inside the Pressure Cooker is all about. It's about making some new friends and sharing some stories with some old friends. And listen, we all know that life inside a kitchen is not for everyone. We've seen plenty of people come and go that thought they could hack it, and they couldn't. Um, it really does take a special someone not only to survive, but to really thrive in an environment of just what feels like complete fucking chaos but it's pretty damn controlled. And then just the constant pressure and the stupid hours you put in, not to mention it can be a very thankless job. Before you know it, it's all in your blood and it's the only thing you know and you need more. It's an addiction. This is the bond that all line cooks and chefs share. Um, it's becoming the heartbeat of the kitchen, as cliche as that fucking sounds, but it's in our blood which means it's fucking pulsing through our veins, and it's what we live for. Hey, quick interruption before we jump on to the rest of this. Two things. First, there's a link in the, in the show notes that, well, it's not really a link, it's my email. Please, I want to hear some feedback from y'all. What do you love? What do you not love? Um, this is how I learn. And the second part, I've set up a Patreon account for this podcast. Uh, the link is also in the show notes below. Please, if you're able to, we would love any contribution you're able to support us with. We all have costs that we need to try to cover with this show, and any support would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Chef Eric, 30-second elevator pitch. Who are you? Uh, I am... Chef Eric Haas, uh, father, I'm a chef, and I'm a patriot. And that's pretty much it. All right. How old are your kids? 16, 10, and 2. Well, you're covering the gamut there. Yeah. Papa was a Rolling Stone. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me then, what? how long have you been cooking? What, what got you into it? I've been doing this forever, man. I mean, my uh, we moved to Massachusetts when I was like eight, I think. And we took over my family's uh, taxi company. And mom was working and stepfather was working. And um, it was a phone call, you know, on like a phone on the wall that you had to like answer and be home for. And this is what you're doing. You're making meatloaf. And I'd get the whole thing. She'd read me a recipe. You writing this down? You writing this down? And I would do it, and I would. I just I enjoyed it, you know. And the more that that went on, you know, I, I just uh, I kind of fell in love with it. That's fine. Um, when when did you realize it was going to be a career? Oh Jesus. Um. I kind of switched permanently to it being a career about 17 years ago. I was going to go to the army. Uh, we found out that my ex was pregnant with my oldest son. And uh, things just kind of shifted gears. I always tried to like stay out of the cooking business 
because I thought if I did it every day, it would like, it would like ruin it for me. You know, like it wouldn't be, I wouldn't get as much enjoyment out of it. Oh, there's truth there. You know? And like, I grew up in a house, like, you know, my father owned three delis. He worked himself to death. You know, he was a shit bag, whatever. Like he wasn't around and was just, it was what it was. And, um, I thought if I like worked in the industry, it would just like, just like make it all tainted. But it actually became quite the opposite. I, I I can understand that. It's almost one of those like you didn't want to follow in his footsteps. Yeah, a hundred percent. Okay. Um. So right now you're cooking. You're a Sioux, and you're in uh, so Farmingdale, New York. Mm-hmm. You've been out in the East Coast the entire time. Yeah. New York. Uh, I worked in the city for Danielle Baloud. Um. Shit. You know, a, a few restaurants here on the island. Uh, I was in Boston for a little bit. And then uh, last November, I came back to Long Island. Okay. And, you know, dug in back here. Now, uh, were you at uh, Barbalude? No, is it uh, DBGB's? Oh, nice. I like that place. Was, uh, our commissary was. Uh, you open the front door to the commissary and it's at the back of like, you know, the iconic, uh, CBGBs like punk rock. Yeah. Uh, I've, uh, a few trips I made to New York actually ate there, I think twice. So, uh, I like the feel to it. It's a different animal now though. The city has just become, it's become just disgusting. Oh, the city, the city has just become disgusting. Yeah. And so many, like, this whole COVID thing, like, just ruined so many restaurants there. Like, Michelin star restaurants were shutting down. It was just, it just became abysmal. And that was, like, the tough time in Boston. Like, I left there to come down here because at the end of COVID, with all the restrictions and everything, like, nobody could offer the pay. Nobody could offer the hours and everything. Like, you know, rent moratoriums were up and it was just, it got, it got insane. Yeah, I don't know how restaurants, I I mean, it was impossible for so many places to survive and, and pay people because restaurants aren't exactly known to have like large vaults of cash just hanging exactly. around waiting for this stuff to happen. So, and yeah. especially in New York or the East coast where just the rents are fucking ridiculous as it is. Um, even with the moratorium, I mean, there's at a certain point, it's like, Hey, everybody's got to be able to pay something here. So yeah, I got a little obscene. What's the one restaurant you're uh, you're sad to see go? I don't know. There was there was a few. There was a couple nice little like uh, like a little a couple like quiet joints in Boston that were just it was like a good place to go like get like a bowl of ramen or like some nice sushi or something like that and like they were just they were closing left and right little like no name hole in the wall places that like we'd go to after work you know what I mean yeah those places were i mean they were kind of the definition of restaurants that were like survive paycheck to paycheck kind of thing yeah exactly yeah they were probably they were probably floating checks for a while yeah yeah and and uh no that's unfortunate because those were the all those places are usually pretty legit and it's it was the smallest places and the and the best food you know we could leave I was like working in Brookline uh at this place called the public house for like a a great set of owners you know this guy David like loved food. Loved everything. We did like a barbecue Sunday. We'd have people like 
coming in just for that on Sundays. And then, like, you know, you get to end the shift and go out and, like, hang out with the guys and go get a fucking bowl of noodles and just wind down from a crazy week, you know? And then all of a sudden that shit wasn't there anymore. What'd you guys do after that then? Then it was just like hop on the green line to the red line and go back to, go back to Dorchester and hang out. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Yeah, it was pretty shitty. So tell me about a time when you're cooking and you just kind of question everything where you're just like, man, is, am I really in the right spot? Is this my career? Like, should I, should I be looking for something else? Shit. I think that's happened a couple times. The first time was like when I started in delis and, uh, I just, I just got tired of it. Like the hours, the, the bullshit, it was just, it became a lot. And then when I went to work for Danielle Valud, it was a whole different animal. It was like... What do you, I have to inspect this guy's like parsley chiffonade right now? Like, is this what I want to do? Like, I don't want to fucking, I don't want to be the chef with like the pair of tweezers and like the fancy little shit on the plate. Like, that's just not me. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm never going to be a tweezer chef. I'm a fucking bull in a china shop. Like, you know, I come in and I, if you're in my way, I'm fucking, I'm mowing you down. Like that's like, I have a very strong point of view on like walking into a kitchen and like to see these cooks that just like have this, I don't give a shit attitude. Like, oh, don't worry. Like he'll, like, like it's not my job. Somebody else will do it. If I did that in any of the restaurants that I worked at, like the places I worked, like none of those chefs picked up a a broom or a mop. You know what I mean? You're lucky if you're going to get them out of the office, (laughs) let alone mop up after you. And these guys are like, oh, he doesn't even help with the floors. He doesn't do this. I'm like, God, give it a rest, dude. Like, this is not how the world works. Like, I I broke my balls to, like, get where I am. And you're here fucking three days a week showing up at three o'clock in the afternoon. Like, what do I care how you feel? It doesn't, it literally doesn't matter to me. Just shut the fuck up and mop. Yeah. Oh man! But like working for, working for DB was just like insanity because like I, he has all these corporate chefs around him and you have to go in and they're like, all right, well it has to be done like this and it has to be done like this and like you got to follow around seven guys that you can barely communicate with because they're either Haitian or I mean we had like a bunch of uh, Albanians when I first started there and nobody spoke English so it would just have to be like visual demonstrations like how to chiffonade parsley how to properly cut the chives so like Chef Rob didn't come and like throw everything in the garbage and make you redo it. So is there like a a corporate chef that would just come in before service and do his walkthrough and then leave? Yeah, so I was like the opening sous. I would come in and I took care of like all the sauces. I managed all that stuff. I had 13 guys in the kitchen and they all... It was massive. It was. They had like six on the weekends. They had like six people on garbage alone. The restaurant isn't that big. The line was huge. And it like the... The hotline had six, and then we had a roundsman that would, like, jump between and, like, fill holes. And then we had six on Garde-Manger. Okay. That whole back room where there's, like, a chef's table and all that stuff. And, uh, like, Jim Gaffigan lived across the street and used to come in on, like, Sundays for, like, brunch with his family and hang out back there. And then you got, you know four cooks just like going it it was it was obnoxious (laughs) i mean we would do 300 people for brunch and then like another 300 for dinner easy on a slow day i didn't think it was that big but obviously i'm wrong so it was uh it was a decent sized restaurant so what inspires you now change you know like i just i I go into every day just wanting to be better you know so much of what i see now is like it's like too focused on the show you know, like it's a like it's a marketing scheme compared to like uh, oh, as opposed to like the actual caring about the cooking. Right. You know, like uh, sure it can look good, but like does it fucking taste good? You know what I mean? Like, are you ordering shit product? Like, is every fucking delivery coming from Cisco and like they're garbage? You know what I mean? Like, we can bleep out Cisco, but they're fucking legit trash. So, 
I, I mean, as it's, a broadliner, it's insane. It's, it's, it's insane. I, I would never order produce from them. No, absolutely not. I mean, some of their stuff is fine. I mean, when you're talking about just all your dry stuff, I mean, whatever, but yeah, chemicals and whatnot. But. Yeah. I, I don't think in every location of, of them is kind of a little different, but yeah, I wouldn't be ordering any fresh product. Whether no, that's, that's like, yeah. And then to like bastardize it, you like get it. And even if it's, even if it's like half, half trash, you know, and you can like make it into something. Why order in like massive quantities from Cisco and then like produce this, this like servable food to like store it in a freezer for three months and then pull it out and like court by court by court. Like I've seen chefs do that and that shit is just so unappealing. And I get it. I, I get like, it's like production based, but it doesn't have to be like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're starting with quality to begin with, I mean, you're going to have a hell of a lot less waste. Yeah, you downgrade. Yeah, your freezer is going to be smaller too. Yeah, and we have. I mean, at Harley's, we have one chest freezer, and it's for fries. You know, fries and like I think lobster tails right now for New Year's Eve. But everything else. Yeah, I say last few restaurants I built out, um, we didn't put freezers in them for anything because for a couple of reasons. One, I also didn't want to deal with like ice cream and desserts and. Because I'm like, okay, listen, it's like, if, if to get into that, it's like, now you need a dipping well, you, you need somewhere on the line for that. Yeah, and, exactly. And it's, I'm like, I don't want to fucking deal with that shit. Nobody wants <laughs> to. No, I'm like, hey, listen, there's a great place about a block down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 100%. Make, yeah, they make fantastic ice cream. Yeah. You know, go get yourself an avocado or something. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but no, stuff an avocado, <laughs> uh, or no, the oh. affogato, um, the oh. Italian ice cream with the espresso. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, you know what though? It's probably an avocado ice cream that they're looking for, though. That shit is so played out. I'm so oh. fucking tired of avocados. It's 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 like avocado is like the dried parsley on the rim of a plate for me right now. Like I'm it's <laughs> fucking nauseating to look at. I don't even want to see that shit. <laughs> yeah, you've got your uh your your late eighties, nineties uh plating where every plate had the paprika and the parsley uh around the rim. I worked yeah. for this lady I worked for this lady in Massachusetts and it was like a breakfast and brunch pot. And um like I just got there and they're like she, you know, it was like this sous chef this uh sous chef position and she was like all excited. And uh, I go in, and she's, like, explaining the garnish and shit to me. And, like, everything, I was like just, like, it was just, like, purple kale. Purple kale on everything. And then she fucking sprinkles the dried shit around the plate. She's like, I like to call it Yaz Fetty. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, you don't name confetti after yourself, let alone, fucking like, dress a plate like that. Like just simple is so much easier. That's good. Yes, Fetty. Yes, Fetty. My buddy Joe will appreciate that because she's like trying to sue him over a hot sauce recipe right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good luck. She's like she's like grasping for straws desperately. Yeah, I'm surprised. At this point, her lawyer is just stringing her along for cash. Then. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because he probably should have told her that when it comes to recipes and intellectual property, like unless somebody signed something that said you own everything I create, or if it hits the menu for whatever reason, you own it. But even then, like prove it. No, she can't. I might. He was. She was just asking me if I wouldn't be. Uh, like, I, don't know, I guess get deposed if I want to like be a character witness or whatever, and like in his whole little lawsuit. I said, sure, sign me up, dude. Because wow, what are you like? You know what? I got. I got. I give the guy credit because he took a step back from a restaurant. Uh, they stole a bunch of his shit. He went through with like, all these lawyers and whatnot. And uh, when he sat home waiting for all this to do, he, him and his wife like made this uh, this hot sauce called Sweet Mamas, and they're selling the shit out of it. And they're going to like hot sauce expeditions, and they're winning and winning and winning. And she's jealous. And I know for a fact it's not her recipe. Yeah, I, I wouldn't doubt it. And even then, like if she wants to say it's her recipe, yeah, I, legally you only have to change like one third of the recipe to create to make it unique. So, yeah. which is fucking easy to do. So when I walked in, when I walked in that restaurant, her hot sauce recipe, she had this guy Tony there, who was just like, he was a fucking clown. Like there was no way. He was like, I've been an executive chef for six years. I'm like, you're fucking twenty three, dude. Like you don't know shit about shit. Like you're trying to emulsify fucking stems right now. Like what are you doing? Like fucking strain the sauce. <laughs> Act like a professional for like three seconds. All you taste is hot. You don't taste any flavor whatsoever. It was a mess. Well, I mean, that's just kind of what everybody looks for these days. You know, uh, everybody just looks for straight heat. Like, I, I, I don't know of any hot sauces out there that I actually enjoy. Like, because, you know, look at all the peppers that are they were going after. The Carolina oh, yeah. Reapers and this and that. Like, okay, outside of putting you in the fucking hospital, what is that really going to do? Yeah, seriously. I mean, we made sauces like we did a barbecue competition. This restaurant I was with uh, Smoke Shack Blues, and I named it Hot as Fuck. And like, I had to wear a, a gas mask, like a, a whole respirator, just to fucking just to mix it. Yeah, you know what I mean, like wearing like goggles because the fumes were just like massive. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was like unbearable. Oh yeah, you smoke but, I mean, out the whole kitchen. I, Everybody's fucking oh, it was crazy. We'd make it like come in at seven o'clock in the morning and have it on the stove, like just going and simmering in the back. And we'd have to open all the front windows, the doors, the back door, just to like, let it all out. Cause you couldn't even, you couldn't even have a customer walk in the building at 11 o'clock in the morning because their fucking eyes are burning. <laughs> I just love to do that. Huh? Like sometimes you get the little chili vinegar bombs and then yeah. all of a sudden you just hear people like on the other end of the line, just, <laughs> you yep. know, you're just like, <laughs> Like, yeah, talk some more shit. <laughs> exactly. Oh, this isn't that hot. Okay. Wait a second, dude. This one's a fucking creeper. And then all of a sudden they're on the floor. <laughs> so you, you've kind of, you mentioned this earlier, but cooking for theater, right? Instead of flavor. And this is kind of an interesting thing because it, it's all... Uh, I don't want to blame social media, right? Um, but there's that, hey, we got to make that Instagram-worthy food, mm -hmm. but it's got to taste great. 
And so everything's got to be like, I, I mean, I remember like, you know, documents and being like, it's, Hey, it's, this has got to be Instagram picture. Like, in, like, Oh, the owners, like, well, can we put this picture on Instagram? If this goes to a guest, did they take a picture of it? Can, you know, and I'm like, when did Instagram start driving so much fucking traffic for us? It just did, man. Uh, it's crazy. Cause you see, like, I'll go through my Instagram and it's like, like, what the fuck am I doing? Like these guys, like you got these idiots that just go on TikTok and fucking dance and they're making millions of dollars and I break my ass. <laughs> you know what I mean? I break my ass yeah. to, to, to fucking bring in a paycheck and like pay for my kids and pay for my apartment and like enjoy my life. And these guys just fucking do nothing. And then you get like, it, it, it like broke down someplace. There's just like a, there was like this fucking massive fallout where it like didn't have to taste good anymore. It was just about like how pretty the plate is. Well, and it wasn't even how about how pretty it was. It just, it was like how over the top, like how ridiculous could it be? Yeah. Like I, I don't mean, want fucking gold flake on my goddamn dessert. Like get that shit out of here. Or uh, like, why, do, like, why do we need that? Or what about your 32 ounce tomahawk that's uh, wrapped in gold flake? Yeah, that's fucking so stupid. It's it's it gets so ridiculous and like over the top. Like that's cool, dude. You can like wear sunglasses and like fucking shave your face like Antonio Banderas and sprinkle salt and shit. Like I don't fucking care. What does the steak taste like? What does it taste like? It doesn't need like if it's cooked well. Like you don't need all this all this like bullshit sauce and. Dude, like, we go out to the table with a tomahawk or a porterhouse, we throw an herb butter on it, we'll torch it and, like, bring it up to temp table side, and that's it, dude. Like, that's it. It just needs butter. It needs butter and fucking love. That's it. You just have to, like, pretend to give a shit for five seconds and, like, fucking cook it properly. Just care about what you're doing, and that's 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 literally it. Yeah. These guys are just, like, I gotta have, like, the fanciest fucking chef coat, and my apron needs to be tits, and I gotta go out there, and I gotta be fucking perfect. You don't, man. Just go in the kitchen, put your head down, and fucking cook. Do your goddamn job. Like, you're here to fucking serve the people. It's not about your ego. It's not about a lot of the bullshit. You're here for customers. And like you said, I mean, it, it, it's not about ego, it, but it, you know, it's more about just giving a fuck for those five seconds. It's like giving a fuck for, for everything and being yeah. excited about everything. Exactly. Like, that's like these cooks that we've been like getting rid of at the restaurant. Like I came, I came in at like the right time. I think, I think I joined the team at Harley's at like the perfect time. It's like, Keith's a great guy. And he was like, he was running himself ragged and he had no help. You know, he was like fucking not like treading water, but he was like fighting because like he has like a, he had a good, a good vision of like where we should go and how to get there. But there was just like missing pieces. Yeah. There's only so much one person can do. You know, I'd like to think that like I stepped in and like at the right time to like help get that forward. And now it's like before it used to be, you know, the kitchen can't keep up with the dining room. Now it's the dining room can't keep up with the kitchen. There you go. You know, and like that, and that's, now, now, now becomes a whole new, a whole new list of problems to solve because now the kitchen is like where it needs to be, but the front of house staff can't like get their shit together enough. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, have they ever? Yeah, no, no, we definitely, we have, we, have, <laughs> we, we do, we have, some, we have some really great servers, but like there was a time where it was like, okay, like 
this one's here for a week and gone. This one's here for a week and gone. Yeah. Like, people can only work two days a week. And it's like, how much do you really give a shit if you're only here two days a week? You know? Well, I mean, the restaurant's just an ATM for them. Yeah. You know, they come in, put in their time, walk out with their cash. Exactly. But they're, they're kids. It goes back to that, like, kids in the kitchen shit. Like, they come back and they just, like, hmm. they think that, like, we're there to serve them. I'm like, that's that's not how this works, dude. That's not how any of this works. Like, we are here to serve the people you're serving. So if we don't all work together, like, you're fucked. We're fucked. And, like, they go home miserable and, like, with a comped meal. Yeah. And I mean, there's so many different places I want to go with this because it's, it's like, all right, how do we want to unpack this? Because the, you're right. I mean, there's, there's this new generation that's coming in that is very entitled. Oh, it's so entitled. It's, it's like, <laughs> it's such a, it's like such a disgusting trait to see that I'm like, I, I just like question like, why, like, why would you choose this business? Like, if you're not about serving other people. Like, why are you here? Why are they here? I mean, have you uh, asked anyone that? I ask them all the time. Like, what are you doing here, dude? Uh, what do they say? Oh, I get. Oh, I got to pay for school. What school, dude? You go to fucking school online. Like, get out. Do something. Like, fucking do something with your life. This is not the... Like, you get people coming in. They're like the fucking Miami Dolphins, dude. Like, they keep playing football. Like, they know, like, football is not the path they should be taking. But they keep trying. <laughs> <laughs> you Miami fan then, huh? No, not, not at all. <laughs> Just saying, it's like, like, do you want to get up and like be the fucking best at what you can be? Or do you want to like go in and like half-ass everything? Like I, I never, I don't half-ass anything. Mm-mm. You know, you get up and like, I, I don't know who the fuck said it. There's some saying about like being in the jungle, like whether you're a lion or a gazelle, like the first thing you do when you wake up is you fucking run. That's the one thing you know that you have to do is you're fucking running. You either running to not be fucking food, or you're running to get food. I'm like, I'm not going to be the fucking gazelle. And thank you for listening to this episode of Inside the Pressure Cooker. If you enjoyed this episode and feel like you're able to take something away from it, please go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review us. Um, if you don't use Apple Podcasts, please follow us, as well as share this episode with a friend. This is a publication by Rare Plus Media, hosted and produced by me. From Rare Plus Media and myself, Chad Kelly, thank you for listening. Keep kicking ass.